It's time for Crack the Customer Code, the ultimate podcast to help you unlock the secrets to understanding and connecting with your customers. Adam, you know what the world needs right now? Um, I'm guessing insights from you and me on the Crack the Customer Code podcast. That's exactly right. And another <laughs> discussion about COVID-19 and the lasting effects it will have. What do you think? Oh. I think uh, I think it's good to be a trendsetter and a trailblazer and to go where no <laughs> to go where no one's gone before, Jeannie. I think that's what, that's what we do best here at Crack the Customer Code. Seriously, but you know, there's so much to unpack, and I was I was kind of intrigued because I was reading an interview with Malcolm Gladwell, um, the famous author researcher, and he talked about how. You know, he had studied epidemics for some of his past books. And the way he's seeing how this is all playing out right now with the pandemic is that there are three kind of areas that are just never going to be the same. And I thought that was an interesting thought process to go to to help plan for the future a little bit. Well, Jeannie, we could plan better if we knew what those three areas were. <laughs> Oh, you want to know? <laughs> I mean, inquiring minds want to know, Jeannie. <laughs> so the first thing he talked about was sports, which I thought was interesting because essentially he was saying, you know, we we got to a point where we had all of these arenas, this incredible capacity in these buildings. And part of that was people got closer and closer together in order to be spectators. And he's saying like the fans of sports are going to change. It's going to be different. We're not going to be able to necessarily go and be in that, you know, basketball arena and cheer on our team together. So sports are going to have to change, but then the fans will have to adapt and change. And some fans will like those changes and they might have interactive ways to participate, you know, as you're watching at home. Uh, some fans might be really into that. Other fans might drift away because they don't have that experience. Yeah, I mean, uh, the sports thing's going to be really complicated. So is, is he, uh, do you remember if he was saying this is a short-term thing or like this is sports has permanently changed because of this? Um, I don't know if he was saying either one. I don't think he was putting a stake in the ground exactly for either short-term or long-term. I think he was saying for the foreseeable future, right. there are some big changes that are happening. Yeah. Well, you, as you know, and uh, our listeners may or may not know this, I don't watch any sports except one. I'm a little bit strange on the sports thing. so I, weird. I know, but it is what it is. <laughs> um, so I only watch a, a mixed martial arts, or most people know it as UFC, which is the brand. Uh, and, you know, so they are the only sport for only major sport that has been open for pretty much this whole time. Mm -hmm. um, they have continued to put on shows. Obviously they stopped for a while um, and they're doing all, it's been controversial, but they're not doing it with audiences. So it's just uh, teams and cameras and they're basically, you know, they're going to these big uh, arenas in some cases and they're empty. It's crazy. It's mm -hmm. the weirdest thing ever. Uh, and, weird. But you know, what's going to be interesting is eventually when they open back up, you know, if they, if they open it, will they come? And that's the question. I mean, the, the sports teams can go ahead and open back up. What are the economics going to be? Because mm -hmm. what's happening right now is there's a tremendous amount of pressure because the live gate is huge. The live gate is a big part of the economics of putting on an event mm -hmm. uh, for UFC and obviously football, basketball. 
So what happens when the people who have these legacy, you know, season tickets that you have to like, you know, get passed on from generation to generation in wills, right. no, no longer want to pay the money for those. What happens to, you know, for football or basketball? What, what happens to the economics? What happens on university campuses, which I know we're going to talk about education soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm SEC, right? This is a, you know, live and bleed football, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's well. just. Yeah. So it should be, it's really interesting. It is. And I think one of the things that is intriguing about thinking this way is that if you have this environment where people can't be there in person, could you offer something that might make up a little bit of that uh, economic, you know, dip and offer something like, okay, if you uh, have a pay-per-view, for instance, where you get to actually feel like you're sitting on the bench with your team or you get to, you know, really be um, on the court, you know, you, so thinking about the sensors and the cameras and all the technology that we have today, is there a way to create something that is different and special enough to fill that gap? I think that's a huge question, but I'm really interested to, to hear how some of these, uh, sports are going to come forward and create new experiences for the fans specifically. Um, I don't know what all those look like yet, but it's a great exercise in like experience design, right? Like thinking through what would this be like if you couldn't come to the stadium and what can we do to bring that to somebody at home? And particularly, but this is not anything that's going to happen anytime soon as you know, VR and AR virtual reality and augmented reality, um, finally, uh, hopefully come to the fruition that has been promised (laughs) for many years now, (laughs) Uh, you know, then it really becomes a fascinating uh, economic Mm -hmm. discussion, discussion about what the economic model is going to be, because then, you know, really, and what happens to these stadiums and the gazillion Mm -hmm. dollar, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) municipal bonds and municipal giveaways and all these things that have gone into the stadiums that are supposed to pay off for 20, 30 plus years. Right. Right. Oh man. That's a big question. Yeah. It's crazy. And then, so we were talking about colleges too. He, uh, Gladwell had something Mm -hmm. to say about, uh, that. Yeah. He, he touched on education. The other two, I'll just talk about them briefly were education and the environment. He basically said, as far as the environment, people in kind of big urban areas, they might really be putting more pressure on the idea that they need cleaner air and all the benefits that come from that because they're getting used to having lower pollution and different things as a result of this. So that was one kind of interesting thought. And the other one was around education. And I think that there, this has so many layers. And as a parent, I can tell you that it's challenging and also an opportunity, I think, for um, kids of all kinds. But He was saying that this is going to shake up um, how we feel about digital equity. And I think that's a great point, too. Um, I was really lucky when we went to e-learning because in both the districts that my kids are in, they are assigned individual Chromebooks. So that's part of how they've been learning the whole time. And we didn't have to scramble to get them a machine to, uh, you know, get online and continue their learning. A lot of families did have to do that. And there is a lot of digital inequity. And so by addressing this at this time, at this moment in time, 
we might be solving some of those problems for the future. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of layers to the uh, academic side of it and the school side of it, because there's, mm -hmm. you know, where your kids are now, right? Middle school and high school. And then there's higher education, what's happening to mm -hmm. universities. And I've read some really fascinating stuff about what's some people expect to happen at the university level. Uh, there's this one guy, Scott Galloway. And I, I think he, he predicted the Amazon um, Whole Foods merger. And mm. he had a, he had a great quote. I went and found this article when we were, said we were going to talk about this. He said, universities are still in a period of consensual hallucination with each saying, <laughs> we're going to maintain these prices for what has become overnight a dramatically less compelling product offering. Wow. Wow. And what he's saying is so much of what you pay for is that experience of being on campus. And you know, mm -hmm. one of the points that got brought up is, well, the parents are like, wait, I'm paying $51,000 a year and they're going to be in the room next door to me all year mm -hmm. <laughs> on, mm -hmm. on, on Zoom? Really? Yep. Right. And so th there's just going to be this reckoning and what uh, you know, the prediction was in this article, and I'm sure there are countervailing points to it, is that the second tier schools are the ones that are going to get crushed. Because mm -hmm. if Harvard or Yale or, you know, UCLA, whatever, in, in the Ivies, if they have a 20% drop off in applicants, well, their waiting list is greater than whatever their drop off is going to be, right? They just go further mm -hmm. down the waiting list. But what happens to the tier two schools that we're going to get all the people who couldn't get in to Harvard and Yale right. and Princeton? Um, and then the community colleges. So, it, it, and you start looking at the value of those, um, those degrees and relative to when they were delivered virtually. Mm -hmm. Right. When that, it's, when that education was delivered without a classroom environment, without projects and all these things. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think you also are forced to ask, what is the definition of the college experience, right? Like, what are we actually asking for when we, when we sign up for that? And I think that's really, um, again, it's kind of a great experiment in experience design because if you start looking at how people are engaging right now and what they're really looking for, is part of college going away and living away from your parents and all of those things that many of us did? And is that the role of the institution or is that the role of someone else? Or is that the, you know, is, is there going to be this whole other industry that springs up? We don't know, but it's just, it's very interesting to think about. And I think that as we move forward in this time, we keep saying unprecedented, right? Like it's right, unprecedented. Well. But there, there are all these things that will change and maybe not in the way we think right now, but I think, you know, we're going to see so many different um, ways that journeys change for, for customers oh, yeah. of all kind. 100%. I mean, it's a, well, on the academic side, it's a reset of economic value because already, you know, we've talked about this but before, you look at a graph of inflation and it looks like mm -hmm. a graph of inflation and you can put healthcare costs and college education on that graph and they look like they're rocket ships to the moon comparatively, mm -hmm. right? The graph. Mm -hmm. uh, so there was already a very big discussion about, you know, the relative value of a university education, particularly if you were going into debt for it, which it's fine. If you have an engineering degree from MIT, it was probably worth it, right? <laughs> You're gonna, yeah. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off. If you have um, a degree in comparative, uh, you know, 
Finnish literature (laughs) from a state state school and you went into debt for 70 grand to get it, um, you know, it's hard to justify that economic value. And I think those conversations are going to just be more stark now because now it's like, well, now I, I'm not even going to campus to go into that mm-hmm. debt, right? And so right. one last thing, because I know we, we decided this is going to be a little bit of a longer episode. Uh, what about companies? And wh- one of the things that we're really looking at is the shift in just consumer buying behaviors, consumer patterns, and how much of that's going to be permanent. So one thing that came out you know, before we were getting ready to record this is that Starbucks is about to shut 400 cafes. Mm-hmm. Now we were, we were here, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, technically, uh, 2008 when they had just overbuilt like crazy, but now, you know, they've been much more measured about their placement and they're still looking at this and what, you know, what they're looking at is, and I saw some very interesting comments saying, Hey, I went to Starbucks every day for like 20 years and now I'm gotten really used to just making green tea at home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so- I also, Oh, Sorry. No, I was just going to say, so is that shift permanent? Is that something that's going to change mm-hmm. over six or nine months? I mean, that, they're obviously closing stores with some expectations of some impact that's long-term, right? Absolutely. And I think the the other side of that is not just that people have learned how to you know, make their green tea at home, but also that there was a time period where Starbucks uh, basically wanted to be identified as what they called the third place, meaning you go to work, you go home. We're that other place that you can go to. And that's, you know, they built up this idea that people could hang out in their their cafes and they could, uh, you know, do their work from there with the Wi-Fi and the cool music and all that. And now people are not doing that, right? Like people are staying home. They are maybe figuring out like, oh, I carved out this little home office. It's a nice place to work. I don't mind it. Um And so I think that's part of this, too, is that it wasn't just about the product that they were selling, but it was about that atmosphere and the environment that they were selling as well. Oh, yeah. That was was, right. You you said it perfectly. They always wanted to be that third place. It was always about the experience. It was never about the $4 cup of coffee. They could charge the $4 cup of coffee because you wanted to sit there. I mean, how many, how many business meetings? You know, it's funny because the people who used to work at home were the people that really, you part of the people that really fueled Starbucks. Cause I mean, that was like, well, I, I don't have an office. You don't have an office. Meet you at Starbucks on the corner. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. So that's another one. I think we will see um, that long-term change in behavior in many cases. Um, but I also think people might start craving that third place again too. So I think they will. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure they're being very strategic about the ones that are closing, and I'm yep. sure they weren't. They probably weren't strong ones um, before. The one thing they said is they're accelerating to pivot to pick up only right now, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. that they don't have as many drive-throughs as some of the competition. Um, so right, that's, that's an impact. True. So yeah, mm-hmm. so there's a lot. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of layers to the way they're approaching it. But it is an interesting question, you know whether we're talking sports, whether we're talking uh, college education, primary education, whether mm-hmm. we're talking coffee, how much of what has been wrought in the last few months is going to stick, is going to be permanent, mm-hmm. is a not a pause, but a change. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we could uh, record this on one day and two days later, something else could happen. <laughs> so <laughs> 2020. You 
Yeah, I know. So, right, right after we drop this, <laughs> the, the, the article the next day will be that Starbucks is opening 300 stores yes. all in all in stadiums. Yeah. <laughs> <America>. Oh boy. Really? <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> we still don't know what will happen, but we're so glad that you're here with us writing this out together. Thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of C-Suite Radio, so be sure to check out all the great business content at csuiteradio.com and csuitetv.com. I'm Jeannie Walters. You can learn more about me, our virtual journey mapping programs, customer experience training, and speaking at experienceinvestigators.com. And I'm Adam DePork. You can learn more about us, our virtual keynote speaking, virtual training, and all of that other great customer experience stuff at customersatstick.com. Until next time, take care of yourself. And take care of your customers. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.